0: Hey, it's Mark Shafley here. You're listening to the Jet Centric Podcast.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the newest episode of the Jet Centric Podcast. It's uh, Daniel here, one of your hosts. And today we're going to be covering more of the farm team, talk about the Manitoba moose a little bit. Obviously, there hasn't been a lot going on with the postponement of pretty much every sport on the planet right now. So we figured it would be a good time to cover the moose and see how they're doing as they're uh, leading into the uh, postponement of the games due to the the global pandemic. On their last games were March 8th and March 9th. So I'm joined here today by Jacob Staller. Oh, stop, Staller. Jacob Staller. Pardon me on that one. Uh, he's a writer for Inside the AHL as well as other things. And I'll just introduce you to Jacob. So uh, how's it going, Jacob?
0: Doing well. How about yourself? You, you know, you actually didn't butcher the name that bad. It gets a lot worse <laughs> you know, you know, the second time. So no worries.
1: I <laughs> yeah, that's. It. <laughs> names are always like i just said about three minutes ago names are difficult all the time and i went over it six times and i still screwed it up so i, I usually <laughs> tell people just say
0: like eric stall and then er so, <laughs> that 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 would be a good way to remember it so anyone listening jacob stall or <laughs> right because the problem is people will look at like Jarrett stole stole er so listen i totally get the confusion i gotta I was thinking of maybe making like the abbreviation like the pronunciation in my bio, but i, I thought that'd be like kind of passive aggressive to have my bio, so i kinda <laughs> I, I opted to to go a little more stealth with my
1: uh campaign, yeah, yeah just uh just correct people on the spot, maybe that's a little bit easier and a little best a little less aggressive than everyone's not looking at your profile yeah. like, oh yeah, well, this guy well
0: who's this guy right like, this guy <laughs> re- gets really triggered if you say his name wrong, yeah. <laughs> I'm more into uh, to doing it under the radar. But, yeah, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, no
1: problem. So uh, you cover the Moose for, as I mentioned, inside the AHL. And you had mentioned you write for other uh, AHL, about AHL players and stuff. So I'll let you touch on that quick before we really get into it.
0: Yeah. Um. So as, you know, I think most listeners would know, I do, you know, some contributions for inside Uh We're in a lot of markets, mainly East Coast, but I'm one of the couple uh, West Coast teams that we've got uh, – covered right now and i also do some freelance work for the professional hockey players association um some of that like recently uh you know was that johnson harkins piece i put out um and mainly it's, it's usually not moose centric but yeah i uh i touched on things all around the hl and you know right now i've got a lot of stories in the hopper just you know with the craziness of this season coming to an abrupt end and i'm excited to share those considering you know m- there's a lot of untold great stories from minor league hockey and now imagine that but with this r- insane global pandemic um so it's it, it'll be interesting but yeah mainly uh moose and and all things age related
1: yeah all right so that's that's pretty cool so uh, if anybody's interested in more than just the moose or the or the jets farm players or prospects give jacob a follow on there on the twitter machine um so we're gonna start off quick. You just mentioned your story on uh, Jansen Harkins. Uh, mm-hmm. So for those who don't know, he obviously has played last season and the start of this year with the Manitoba Moose before graduating into the NHL. Um, so we're gonna start off actually a little prediction for next year. So Jacob, who do you think uh, from the Moose that are, that have played this season so far, there's 61 games. Who do you think will uh, get? promoted or graduate into the NHL to probably never be sent back to the AHL again. That's kind of what my right. definition of graduating is.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, so I, and along with Pascal Vincent uh, would agree with that. Um, the the moose defined the graduation as kind of like you're at the point where you're not yo-yoing from point A to B um, and you're kind of up there and, and you're an NHL asset from that point. Um, so of the people, as you said, that have played the 61 games, the only ones, uh, personally, I foresee being in the big leagues uh, next season are Jansen Harkins and Sammy Niku. Now, I don't want to, maybe we can t- t- touch on this in a bit, but I don't know necessarily if, if Niku's with the Jets. I, I don't know. Um, I, I just don't think it's as sealed fate. Maybe he ends up somewhere else. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, you know, Jansen Harkins, he's an NHL player. Um, as I mentioned a bit before, I wrote that piece on him. And, like, I, I, you know, I can't stress enough just how out of the woodwork this really was you know I, I so in september yeah september when i went there to, to the iceplex just to you know do my first couple interviews kind of get a feel for the team they came back from a quick road trip i was there actually just to write on like niku you know a lot of us were surprised when you sat down um and you know a lot of that stuff and you know we called out jansen harkins and you know jansen harkins uh second round pick coming to this series a decent you know AHL player he had been behind the likes of rozovic lemieux um even an NHLer, a guy that got nhl games buddy robinson right like rozovic appleton all these guys are you know getting games and reps so, you know over harkins not to mention when kyle connor was there and and so on so forth so yeah he was kind of forgotten about in that sense and you know as i wrote in this piece he had a lot of injuries and whatnot but you know the second he got the opportunity this year he just became dominant. Like the November stretch of hockey I saw from him was undoubtedly like, you know, there's a point you see with, with AHL players (coughs) where they're too good um, for that league. And, you know, maybe they're down because there's too many forwards or to, you know, work on their penalty killing ability or whatnot. But you watch the AHL and you can tell, you know, which guy uh, on the ice, if you're watching the game, who is NHL ready. Um, you know, like Seth Griffith, for example, he's an absolute great AHL player, you know, but you watch Jansen Harkins that in that sense and you just see the poise and all those things and that come together to make him look like an NHL player. Um but yeah, so you know, his all star campaign this year, it was only like thirty games, but like it was just a dominant November and December, and then look at it, you know, he's never going back. So so there's no doubt there. Um and then what I said about Sammy Niku, like um, I didn't wanna to I I don't wanna say anything to stir anything up. I just think you'd be a little remiss to say that given how he's done and how there's a lot of questions if he's for sure with the Jets, I wouldn't be surprised if he's part of a deal. Who knows and, and whatnot. But uh, yeah, he is a dynamic force in the HL. He's at the point of his development, he's got the NHL. He's extremely gifted with the puck and, and I you know, I'd be shocked if he wasn't on an NHL roster next year. Um, But, you know, those guys are only with the Moose uh, in that first bit of the year. So you look at the roster, you know, as you said, the last games were March 8th, March 9th. You look at that roster and, you know, there's a lot of interesting prospects there. Uh, We'll get into them more, I'm sure. You know, you got Mikal Burden, probably, in my opinion, the most fascinating prospect on this team. And then you got two first-round picks in Christian Vestalainen and Logan Stanley. But those guys, all for separate degrees and reasons, need more time there's no one really that stands out um, the three most likely people to, to, graduate. And, you know, especially, so this, this would have been the case anyways. Uh, let's say, even if there wasn't, you know, this unprecedented uh, halt of professional hockey, but, you know, with the salary cap possibly being affected, there's, especially for a team like the jets who, you know, they've got a, another extension in line coming up. They got big bills to pay. You got to get someone on your, on your, you know, fourth line, guys like CJ Cease, you know, Luoto or Andre Chibisov, sub a million dollar contracts, league minimum, play six minutes a night kind of thing. Um, Those are going to be, you know, guys I mentioned, Cease, Luoto, Chibisov. Those are the guys that are going to be contending, if anything. Um, You know, Andre Chibisov got, I think it was two games. I I saw his debut. I don't know if he got another one. Um, He showed some decent offensive potential uh, in the first bit, but kind of tapered off once Harkins left. But I mean, the guy's 26 and he's, like, Vincent said it this way, and it's so true. Like, he's a horse, this guy. And, like, you know, he's got a powerful shot, good puck skills. His one-on-one game is, is really NHL-ready. Um, you know, his battle level and all those things. The only thing with him is a couple things. His discipline's one. He gets really heated. And two is, like, this could change. But, you know, it's not easy to have a guy. Todd Woodcraft can speak Russian. Um, and that's a big asset, but it's not that easy when a guy is totally, you know, unable, doesn't know the language and stuff. That's hard, I think. And, you know, that, that's hard to adjust to and such. That could be something that could deter him if he's on the fringe and, and whatnot, because um, you never know. Let's say, you know, he's an RFA, so if he comes back next year and, you know, they send him to the Moose, he could bolt to the So you never know, right? Like, there's always, there is that risk there sometimes, but, you know, from a from a player standpoint and from a skill set, I, I think he has so many tools, um, that would really, really scream a possible NHL body to what extent I think is, is, is max is fourth line kind of guy. Um, uh, but yeah, as I said, he's, he's a big body and someone that can bring a physical presence, but also, you know, he's not a, he's not a, you know, he's not an enforcer, right? He's not somebody that's slow or without all due respect, like a Chris Thorburn, but he's got some, uh, ability with the puck there as well. And then another guy is CJ Cease. Um, I've been pretty high on Cease. I really like what he brings. You know, throughout the year, he, he's been one of the most consistent players for the Moose. He's a really, really defensively responsible game. Yeah, he doesn't lay at the scoreboard. It, and I will say towards, you know, the, the second half of the year, he was really becoming a big part of the power play and the first line um, to be expected when you're playing with good players. But he's just a, a smart, fundamentally sound player with a really good stick. And, you know, he knows his role, right? And like he can play at a fourth line or sit in your press box and, you know, it won't be a big issue as opposed to if you had say a skilled guy there, you know, like Nick Patan, I know people are kind of torn on how he did, but my point it was is what was hard for him was that because he wasn't laying up offensively, that he was in the bottom six, he couldn't really contribute there, whether he was given a fair shot or not as up for debate, but a guy like CJ Cease, I could you know, for sure see coming in and Getting a role, uh, Maurice has spoken great of him. He he was, you know, people forget he was one of the last cuts uh, the Jets training camp this year, and he was really solid for them. Um, the one caveat was with, with ceases. I think he's 25, 26. I can't remember, but he, he's kind of near Chibisov's age. He got shoulder surgery in his first year pro, so not this season, but the last. And you know, while while he's got a great compete level and everything, that really didn't help. Um, I feel like he, you know, could have used those that year, especially considering how old he is coming out of uh, college and stuff. And, you know, there's less and less time for development of, of those older guys. Um, it could have been big for him coming out of college. But uh, yeah, I think he has the tools to be a fringe guy. And again, like these, these aren't flashy players and there's no clear cut graduate, but you know, that guy comes to mind and Then there's Yuno Luoto, who, uh, you know, there, there's, there's no secret that he looked really behind <laughs> at the NHL level and, um, like there's no way, there's no way around it. He he did not look really up to par with what was going on. I maybe you would remember Daniel, but that fourth line they had at one point that was causing a strong line was it like Luoto, Shaw, Gustafsson or something? I can't remember. Yeah, I think but. that's
1: what it was early on there. And it was in, bad. Early in the season, yeah, around October, uh, November maybe. It yeah, was, it wasn't.
0: Yeah, it, it was wasn't hard fun to watch. to watch. Yeah, it was. It was actually to hard to watch. But so what I will say um, is Luoto. Um, Ludovico's a really smart player, and like I, I still don't understand the signing. Maybe it's because he's buddies with Lane. I don't know. Maybe that was part of you know the 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 appeal. But he's a really smart player and somebody that his upside maybe could be you know a penalty kill specialist and and whatnot. And you know he really doesn't have much offensive upside um, and whatnot. But he's so good with his stick and he's very sound positionally in all three zones. But I still just I don't know. Maybe he maybe he's their black ace next year. Uh, but kind of as I went through these three names, you know, Harkins was the big guy, like the big fish this year. Every year there's going to be one guy that graduates, I think is what it comes out to. Harkins graduated, uh, Niku graduated, sees Luoto and Chibisov, they're maybes. You know, they're, they're guys that will be there contending for spots at camp. And the reality is like David Gustafson, um, does he count as a graduation here? Like, I mean, uh, like, I think Gustafson, you know, I don't really know actually if, if he'll. He, could he play in the NHL? Yes, but if, if if there's a situation where Maurice has Lowry ahead of him and you know Gustafson in the fourth line, does it hurt to have him back in the A? I don't think so. Um, and especially, it's too bad, especially for a guy like Gustafson, the way the season ended abruptly, because he was really going. Like he was really finding his game in all as- in all aspects, and you know, you could have a guy like Gustafson, you know, play six minutes a night be great on draws your best on the team and play penalty kill, penalty kill minutes next year which would be great but the thing is you know clearly from what we saw the world juniors and with the moose a player that smart he's got more to bring to his game so if he's behind a bunch of bodies i would not be surprised if he goes down the moose at least to start but uh you know if you're comparing gustafson to seize luoto and uh chibisov like the there's no, there's no comparison, night and day, in my opinion. Gustafson's yeah. a way more finished product, uh, without a doubt.
1: Yeah, so there's always, and as something that we've always touched on on this podcast over, the, over time is uh, it's a lot of plug-and-play kind of situations too. So exactly. when a guy, a guy goes down on your first line, you need to kind of bring up a first-line kind of player, right? Whereas right. if you just need a depth guy on the fourth line, you know, to eat up a few minutes a night or whatever. You have those guys too available, and that is a system that the Jets, the Jets seem to employ with their farm team and stuff, which is good to see. Um, that because every player, you know, each one has to know the role and be able to play in that role. So sometimes there's situations where you gotta assess. You know, it, like you had mentioned about uh, about Gustafson, is it For good sure. to have him in the NHL on the fourth line every night, or is it better to have him playing? on the top line on the moose and all, all specials and everything gets For sure. that, that valuable experience, especially as such a young, young player, right? I believe he's 19. Is that 19 or 20? So that's,
0: yeah. Um, that's the one something... thing we'll say though, is as much as you are completely correct about like, depending on the player that goes down, um, who you bring up, but he- here's the thing that people forget. And I'm not saying you, but I, th- I see this along social media. People don't understand the gap from the AHL to the NHL. And when I say that, I mean, so, you know, Vestalainen, who we're going to get into, and I don't want to ruin that, but you look at Christian Vestalainen and people, if offense isn't going well, let's say Mason Appleton, for example, he's got a bad game. People are calling for Vestalainen to come up. And this is no disrespect to Vestalainen or whatnot, but here's the reality. Like, give Mason Appleton some credit. You know, this guy was a dominant player in the AHL and he graduated understandably, right? Vestalainen, if he was supposed to be in the NHL, he'd be in the NHL. Right. And he's got a lot to work on, and bringing up a raw product like that, though he may be offensively inclined, if you really look at his game, he's got so many The things he needs to work on, that stuff won't be able to fly in the NHL, you know? And I think people forget that you got to get the best possible bodies um, in situations. You can't just hand people roles. You got to earn it. Um, that's just my two cents. I think sometimes people are a little too stingy on that sort of thing. But yeah, yeah anyways, sorry, what were you saying? No,
1: no, I can, yeah, I can kind of understand understand what you're saying and actually I think we'll move on to something that I had mentioned about uh, calling up um, young players and having them sit in the press box only and not getting in the games sure. as opposed to calling up an NHL or an AHL vet for example like Logan Shaw who they actually have had for sure they're on the fourth line or in the press box this season yeah so I'll use this quick example uh just before the all-star break the Jets had A back-to-back situation I believe Mm -hmm. um and they had called the Fesaline because there was some injury worries or as a backup body and they didn't play him in one of those two games and I understand what you say about earning his role and stuff like that but Mm -hmm. wouldn't have it have been somewhat beneficial to at least get him into one of those two games and actually at that point I believe the coach had mentioned that he wanted to get him into one of those two games and didn't so I just want your th- overall thoughts on that is, should they be calling up young players to sit for weeks at a time? Not that best line in that case was weeks at a time. Yeah. To sit up upstairs weeks at a time, or is it better to have Logan Shaw or sure. Logan Shaw type players sit upstairs or that you can just plug in for a game if someone gets sick or something
0: like that? That's a great question. Um, that's a great question. So before I, I answered that specific best line or uh, question, uh, let's look at it this way. So, you know, people made a big fuss how Maurice said, uh, you know, we want to get them into a game. Right now, the way I dissect the situation is this. When Christian Vestland was recalled, I looked at it as a reward call up. It's a way of saying, hey, look, we believe in you. Come, you come, you know, come fly. Come, come on the plane, come to the hotel, do the thing, you know, live the life, the big league, see what you want to work for. Take a day of NHL's pay, which is guys, let's, let's all kid ourselves. Like that's a good chunk of change. Yeah, that's a big you know? difference. Yeah, it's a big difference. So come here for a day, and then go back down and continue your development. Now, the way that that is that is beneficial, in my opinion. You got one day, you show them. It's a it's a boost, whatever. And you know, have them sit in the press box for a while does no good. Now, another example is is Michael spotcheck Now, before I get get into this, I will say, at no time this season did I ever look at Michael Spicak as an NHL asset. When he was recalled. I don't think anybody that, you know, watches any sort of bits of either the Jets or the Moose or whatever had him on that radar at all. Um, And it was clear kind of what was happening there, at least from my interpretation of, you know, Maurice speaking and Vincent or Maurice speaking was they needed a body. Right. So they needed Mm -hmm. a body. They brought up this body to be there. And it turned in from one one Florida road trip to two to three to four to five to six to seven. He goes on there. Who knows what his mindset is and whatnot? Who knows if it's it's helping him? You know, can you really read into what Vincent and them said about his work ethic? Who knows if any of that's true? But what we do know is true is that Spachek comes down and he is horrid. You know, like he mm-hmm. he and listen, is there an onus on Michael Spachek, for not responding? Absolutely. Like from 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 taking the NHL call up and coming down and then you know, like I don't know if we can swear, but poop in the bed here. I don't know if I yeah, said, yeah I that's swear, what, but, yeah. <laughs> um, so is there on a set of spot Of course. Okay. But the, also the question that they ask yourself is how much benefit did Michael spot have there? You know, practicing is a lot different. You take him out of game situations. He comes back down that hurt him. Um, though there is, I want to reiterate this like the third time here, but of course spot owed more, but that situation, having a guy there just to sit for a while. And we're like back in the day with Patan, that's just an archaic mentality. And I think the jets understand that now. So, to answer the question, the Vessel line one in particular, I think that was just a reward, a one day, come here, we care about you, we're going to give you a little pump, a little Christmas raise, um, it's something we've seen the Leafs do quite a bit this year, bring up a bunch of those guys, give them a day's worth of pay, you know, get the morale up, whatnot, make them feel a part of it, but they don't bring guys up to sit around, and that's why, as you mentioned, Logan Shaw's there, I think the, the, the Jets, the Jets organization doesn't get enough slack for the way that this year turned out, because, the whole Buffin situation and everything, it threw their cap situation into an absolute tailspin, right? So with that said, you forget about, you know, the defense really waters down any sort of progress they had. But this offseason, they signed Seth Griffith, Logan Shaw again. Those are two big, you know, AHL free agents, if you're looking at it from the tweener perspective, right? So I like to call them, uh, oh, what's the word I used to use all like uh quad, yeah sorry quad a players
1: yeah four A players yeah
0: four yeah. A players so shaw and and uh, griffith are great hl players very pedestrian fourth line people some would say even bad fourth line players but those guys are important to have there in case you need a, someone to warm the press box to further development of you know what's going on down the farm help them be competitive and those are the guys that you want warming the press box um, for extended periods of time because injuries happen, right? Logan Shaw is a perfect example of a guy you want kind of warming the press box there. Um, but when it's a young player, you know, if it gets past two, three games and there's really no chance of them playing, you're you're, you're basically getting no benefit of that from them. Um, you know, you're at a point there where they're just they're doing drills, right? And then they're saying for extra work and, and yeah, that's great and all, but that's what their summers are for. Right. Like game experience and getting in the game, you know, rhythm and getting in situations like it, for a, from a pure hockey standpoint, I'm of the belief that if you want to really reward a guy, you put him on the power play and just doesn't deserve it or the penalty kill. You don't call him up. Right. Like if you're going to give him a reward that maybe isn't necessarily warranted by their play but you want to give them you know belief in themselves why not put them in the best possible situation in the hl and see what happens i just think that calling them up beyond a one or two day kind of thank you card it just becomes a little redundant and i don't see the point of it i think you know when i've mentioned this on a lot of the hits or podcasts i go on one of my favorite lines and i i not that it matters, but I I'm, was critical of the way Mike Babcock was off the ice, on the ice, whatever, when I was in Toronto as covering the Marlies. But he said this one quote that is paramount to understanding like hockey and sports. It's like, why be at the top level and get two minutes a night when you could be down a level below, touch the puck, 20 minutes a night, get a feel for it. Like You're not going to get any better if you're not playing games. I think that applies to this situation here. So... To, to wrap that up it, it can't be the long the, the young guys and i completely agree with you um if it gets beyond two games you're just you're yeah. wasting time you're wasting time yeah i i that's exactly what
1: um, the sentiment would be for most uh most people that see the game in a much bigger sense and stuff like that is you gotta these guys gotta play right so you need you need your young guys playing um mm-hmm. you know if you call them up for a week or a couple like two two games three games usually over a week span that's something that's a little pay bump and that, that I do understand, but it's when they're sitting there for weeks on end, that's kind of like, what are you doing here? You know, you bring the guy on a, on a three game road trip, maybe something like that, right? That's, that's something, you know, that's a good reward whether he plays, you know, he might even get in one of those games too, right? So that's, that's something that I, I like like to, to think about.
0: There's a benefit. Like if you're in a situation where you've got a guy that's like, that's like on the cusp, but you know, there's, Maybe he, maybe his work ethic isn't all that great, or maybe uh, better like maybe there's a, there's elements of his game his his agility yeah. is this is that is, there's something in his game that's a little bit off. Sure, bring him up on a road trip, show him how far apart he is for himself in a couple practices. There's no problem with that. Show him how far away he is, and kind of a mental experiment. There, that, that's fine, but. The case of Spot Check, and frankly, I'm sorry, even Vesselion; those guys are not even in my, in, in my, you know, objective opinion, remotely ready to be in NHL games. So, so what's the point here beyond two days? That that's where it, that's where yeah. I think I myself have a ideological difference from the Jets. You don't see other teams doing that as much. Some do. Jets are alone, but that there, there's there's two kind of ways to think about it. There's there's people that like to over ripen in the NHL to a fault, and there's some that like to yo-yo a bit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, the Jets do like to over and they do that with their assets. But this year, I, di- I didn't get the, the spot check thing. I really didn't. I was yeah,
1: I was that confused. was
0: that was a different
1: situation. Um, obviously, we don't know the entire story behind all of what of happened. Um, but yeah, that was a that was a first for me, and in, uh, in oh, it recent was years that I can remember. So that's uh, very very interesting. Um, but I think we'll move on. Actually, we're kind of touched on this, actually, in what we were just talking about, but um, obviously the Jets and Moose, they share all the, all the facilities, the Iceplex, the obviously Bell MTS, uh, Bell MTS Center. Yeah. So I'm just asking, do, you, do they operate, like, in your opinion, like independent from each other, or can you definitely see a lot of like, intermingling, intertwining of the organizations? Like, Do the players and stuff interact, um, the staffs and stuff, like, do they interact a lot, or it's one team. Do, they not, do they not take the benefit of that uh, as much as they should, maybe, I'm not sure exactly.
0: Yeah, no, great question, they're one team, that's the way I see it um, they are in the the most literal way, they are one team one one group of guys has the Jets emblem and the other one has the Moose but other than that, organization is completely intertwined, so Craig Heisinger is uh, the general manager of the Moose but, but Zinger, uh, you know, he's not exclusively, even close to exclusively doing Moose stuff, right, he's, I believe he also has a title of um, player personnel or hockey operations VP of something. But the point is like, he's going on scouting trips, right? He's around, but you know, I'll tell you throughout the year, Kevin shovel off very, very consistent presence. Uh, when he, when he can to go to those games and they're al- they're always there in the room down after Mark Shipman, is always going down to the, to the room after not to the room, sorry to down, you know, to speak with the, the GMs and whatnot and the moose personnel. It's all one operation. Um, and they love the way they're doing it is really what we're seeing the, the league evolve into, right? Like, you look mm-hmm. at California. So, Anaheim's got San Diego. San Jose has San Jose's. Like, sorry, Anaheim's affiliates in San Diego. San Jose's, they're in uh, San Jose. Same building, same mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. The Ontario rain, I don't know. Like, it's within an hour from Sable State, Yeah, it's, it's close. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very close, yeah. close. I don't know California too well. So, there's that. And then you've got the East Coast. You the only the only ridiculous affiliation is Utica and Vancouver. Like that is the only one that is <laughs> yeah, just that's so, extremely far, right? Yeah. That is so far for to be in your own division, let alone when you're yo yoing guys. Like you know how like Nicholas Waugh from uh Vegas was went up and down like twenty seven times? Yeah. Could you imagine if that was Vancouver? <laughs> this guy would it has got to be jet-legged, like, all the time. He'd never get off the plane, just keep him on uh, day-to-day, pretty much. And He'd land in Utica and be like, you're-, you're-, you're going to Vancouver. Like, he wouldn't even, like, get to games. Um So, just back to that, they're trending in the direction of the entire league. Um, and it's really... So, uh, another example, Columbus, there is and Cleveland. Like, they're all kind of getting these base. But let's look at, like, Toronto, uh, San Jose, and Winnipeg. What it is, is there's the same arena same practice facility. And then the coaching staffs, like Pascal Vincent was a coach for the Jets, assistant coach for years, right? So Mm -hmm. he he knows that staff. He knows the system. He knows who he wants to play. He talks to Paul and Reese like consistently. He talks to Zinger. He talks to Chevy. They're all talking to each other, right? There's the same plan going into every single day. Um, And, you know, via, uh, you know, a, a standpoint of formality, they're two teams, but it's the same operation here. Everything Pascal Vincent does is, uh, you know, as much... And listen, he has control of, of what he wants to do with his lineup, of course, but the system, the way that, you know, people's usage, that's a collaborative effort. You've got Jimmy Roy, Mike Keane, the development guys. You've I'm, Listen, I'm sure Kevin Sheveldayoff is, is involved in some degree. These are his assets. These are his prospects. That's the way you're seeing the game change. You're seeing a much more collaborative approach. Um, the, there's only, you know, I, I, I think... Uh, I think the only team right now, and that this is about to change, um, San Antonio, they got bought by Vegas, right? So mm-hmm. San Antonio, right. I believe, was independently operating from St. Louis, I think. Now Chicago, up until... Actually, I think... so. Chicago Wolves are independently owned, right? So if you look back at... If you recall, or whoever listeners recall, back in the day when the Moose were uh, the talk of the town with Vancouver, how it worked, and I've talked to people to confirm this, is there was X amount of spots you know, allocated to the Canucks, or the Canucks can send anyone down. The rest, the Moose had control of, right? right. So, it, you know, that, that's where Zinger gets this, his uh, claim to fame of finding guys like Burroughs and finding all these guys, you know, in the East Coast League and whatnot. Um, yeah, like, they're, they're uh, you know, they're doing the new style of game. Um, and just, just further to that, about it being so collaborative, um, what I find really interesting is you look at the way, like... Like Pascal Vincent, when I talk to him post game, he knows and he's a smart guy, um, but he knows the question why we're there to ask questions. We're we're there to ask questions because of, uh, you know, the the prospects, the next up and coming guys. He gets that. He gives he's like, you know, HL coach is like an advocate for these guys that not many people are talking on the record about these prospects games. He gets that and whatnot. But also from his standpoint, it's the same sort of mission right? He's there to develop the prospects. When Johnson Harkins got called up, and, and he, Pascal will be the first one to admit that the reason Johnson Harkins is where he is is because of him. Uh, J- <laughs> J- no, no, no. Johnson Harkins at it. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. And, 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 but that's true. Johnson Harkins worked his butt off to get there. Um, Vince, Vince always says, listen, he worked. It's all on him. But... The day that Jansen Harkins was recalled, he said that's a proud moment in my coaching career. Right, and he said the same thing for Roszak, same thing for Connor. But Jansen Harkins, as much as he put in the work, look at look at Pascal Vincent's resume here. Now he had a guy go from the ranks, move on up, and they nurtured him. And he, as much as Harkins bought in, they worked with him. That whole staff. That's what they're trying to do because they are part of Jets organization you know Pascal vincent when he answers questions it's not the moose it's us it's the jets organization we're here to develop jets he says it all the time so to to answer your question it is the same sort of operation there's a lot of uh you know and here's the thing too i know for a fact when guys are getting called up it's not like like you know in like uh mighty ducks three like adam banks makes the a team and he ditches all the b team guys yeah yeah Right, it's not like that, you know. They they're all still friends with each other. Um, there's a lot of mingling between the two teams in that sense. Guys are going up, going down. They do training camp together. They a lot yeah. of live in the same buildings together. It's, it's the same team, but even more especially because of how small Winnipeg is. You got two professional hockey teams here, San mm-hmm. Jose, massive area. Toronto, like the Marlies and the Leafs, as connected as they are. Um, but that's also a via product of the amount of graduates they've had. Off the ice, they lived. Those guys, like, there's a, it's a huge city, right? Yeah. Winnipeg, you're, you're really, really close. I think that the Jets like that. Um, I think they really like how close people are. When, you, when you're calling some guy up, you know, they call CJC. It's not like this guy is like some, oh, yeah, the guy coming here from St. John's. So who is this guy? They know CJCs. They went through training camp. The guys CJC. know him, yeah. The guys I mean, know him. The, pro, the CJCs went to war with all these guys at development camp, at training camp. He battled for spots. They know what they're getting. And uh, they love that. And you're going to see that. You know, I don't know. I don't know exactly what's going to happen long term with the moose. I'm looking beyond the next decade, but they're going to try as long as they can to keep it that way because it makes the most sense. Kevin Shoveldell yeah. can get off a plane and go right, drive right downtown and watch the moose. You know, and uh, yeah, they love having the operation centralized in that aspect.
1: Yeah, that's 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 good, and that's kind of what I thought. I figured there there has to be at least some degree, and it sounds like there's a lot of uh, intermingling, which is great. Um, so we, you kind of just talked about the longevity too. So as uh, as our listeners probably know, um, this season Winnipeg also gained uh, a WHL franchise. Uh, the Winnipeg Ice uh, moved from Kootenay. Um, so the attendance this season has stayed pretty consistent um, for the Moose. Uh, they're sitting about uh, just under five thousand um, per per game. I guess that is, and that's uh, right around their rolling average. Uh, as their low was forty seven hundred last year. Um, so it's, it's right around there. Obviously, right now, the ice are in a much smaller building than the one that they're going to be in. Yeah. But, uh, so what is the... Uh, the uh, I think the ice draw about 1,500 a game, and that's pretty much... I don't know if that's sellouts at the Wayne Fleming, but... Um, so what do you think about that? Just uh, We'll just touch on that really quick, just the longevity of the boost uh, yeah. operating out of Winnipeg and out of the Bell MTS. So.
0: Um, my, my stance... Okay, so my stance has kind of changed. Uh, I kind of felt like at the beginning, of the year, I wrote this, that um, I kind of felt that the moose were in a pressure cooker in the sense that they had they're competing with the ice, and they are,
1: to, to yeah. some degree,
0: for fans. But what I will say to that is this: as much as the moose are here and, and they're really trying to. Bring people in the seats, and I think they've done a good job of doing that this year. Especially, they had some really good attendance figures on nights when I never thought they would. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, be Roy night—you you really saw how much Moose history was there. I love that because I was a huge Moose fan uh, before the Jets came back, like massive. Right. Um, and yeah, like I, I, you you see it, and there's a real love for the Moose and the culture it has. So you know, there's that part of it you see. But you know, at the beginning of the year, I was like, you have the ice here. They've got a really you know great management and a, a new idea. They got this big arena coming and I don't know if people know this, but you know, they own the Winnipeg blues. So like the, what they're doing, they kind of in a way have their own like development system, like, which is kind right, of unprecedented, right. which is neat because Winnipeg's so far from other WHL teams and it gives them a cool advantage in that sense. Um, and they've got that guy, Matthew Savoie. They've got a good team. They're willing to invest assets and be bold and they're going to be a fun product. There's no doubt. But I think the thing is with the moose is two things. One, I think that the Jets are prepared to take any losses that, that come about. Let's and I'm 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 just assuming this uh, based off how much they like it and how you know uh, you know reasonable they actually do do um, even with the ice there this year and whatnot. And also, I think that you know there's still that appeal to go to a moose game for because it's in the MTS Center, right? So you take your young kid to the MTS Center, the moose. A really young kid i don't know if people are doing this but you could tell them it's a jets game right like like or like it's a big deal they're at the arena yeah um, there's that aura to it so i think that there's for sure an appetite in the city of winnipeg for a cost-efficient product um in this market like 100 percent um but the real question becomes you know let's say you know the jets are getting in financial troubles or let's say there's this there's that if things start to go south the moose are probably the first casualty that's the reality yeah of course yeah that's just the reality of the situation but what i will say is i i mean with the way they have it it's a real you know i almost wonder i've always wondered this i almost wonder and this is just something i don't know if i've ever said out loud um but if they were to move like it was originally proposed under bay but maybe like fargo Or something, you know, or maybe like it. The only way that it would be moving, unless they were forced, would be if it was, you know, a situation where they could profit from it and it was really close by, right? But other than that, true north can do whatever they can to keep them here because it's great. And also, I think that people, you know, don't understand the moose do a lot of great stuff for the community. Not that the ice don't, like, listen, the ice do a really good job, but the thing is, the ice are, uh, the ice are in school, these guys, yeah, right? right, right, and like, so they're traveling or they're in school and. I, you know, listen, give credit where it's due. These WHL kids do, do a lot of community service. Um, they do a lot of great stuff. Like, don't yeah. get me wrong. But the Moose, what's so cool about them is because the Jets are, and the Jets do stuff too, but they're NHL players. They're busy. Their schedule's a lot more condensed. The Moose play on the weekends, usually. Mm-hmm. Or twice a week. So during the week, you know, you'll see them after the rink. They're going to go do autograph alley, all these things. And True North is a, is a company, love or hate, that is based off, you know, their values of loyalty. And you know, the loyalty they have to the fans, the community with the Moose and their relationship is something they very much cherish and enjoy. So there's that component of the Moose. Take away the fact you seeing the future Jets, take away all the, the hockey perspective. What it is, is it's an ch- opportunity for them to have, you know, a cost efficient product on the big stage, you know, the MTS center. And there's a value to that, let alone the, you know, invaluable benefits that come from having your hl team right across the hall from the nhl one
1: yeah and i think that's that's something that'll keep the moose here for a long i won't say forever but for a long time and for sure there's the proximity to the jets to the big the big club organization and the fact that you know maybe they don't need to make that obviously they don't need to make a lot of money off the moose when they got the jets in town making boatloads of cash right so that's
0: that's part of it too
1: from the business aspect all right so we'll move on sorry if i just
0: finish one sorry sorry to cut you yeah. off, Dino. But what I will say, though, is that the Moose do, do quite well <coughs> relative to, to the situation they're in, right? Like, you look at, like, uh, San Jose's situation or um, the California teams. So they're growing the game in California. They really are. They're the all yeah. game in Ontario. It's doing great. But what I will say is that the real, they get some really solid crowds there, um, but there's just more people, right? The way that the, 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 the you know attendance that Winnipeg is able to get for the moose, considering the fact there's less than a million people here. And this is where my opinions really changed because at first I was like, mm, that's going to be tough for the moose to compete with. But now it's like, okay, even if when the ice move into their new arena, there's a undeniable fact that this, this city is so passionate for hockey. Right. And, and it's not just the people that can, you know, throw up money to go to jets games. It's people of all, of course it's not. That's, that's the, the, the very, very big minority. Because there's there, very few can pay that in the grand scheme of things. There's so many people that want to see hockey, and the moose are another way for that to happen at a at a very cost efficient price. Yeah, that's yeah, and that's another thing too from the fan
1: side. I know I can afford to go to moose games pretty fairly regularly, as I as I have in the past seasons, where I you know I can get to maybe two jets games, right. you know, instead of I can go to twenty moose games kind of thing. I haven't been in the in the past. I have been this season and last season not so much, but stuff like that too is. It's financial stuff too, right, from the fan side, and obviously a, a moose ticket is like a quarter of a Jets ticket. Oh yeah, cost yeah, wise, you can and go with friends, like, and, and you can or, have you can go fun. with ten. Yeah, exactly. You can go with ten people who could throw thirty bucks down, right, and at least get to the game, and then what happens happens, right? That's that's part of it too. There, so uh, oh, sorry, I think I just I almost lost you for a second there. <laughs> Oops. Oh, okay, all good. Yeah. Um, all right, so uh, we'll move on from the uh, bit more of the business side of hockey now. Um, so we had talked about, I want to f- talk about a little bit about uh, how the Moose are doing this season specifically. Obviously, uh, they're last in the Central Division, uh, lots of injuries mm-hmm. at the AHL level and at the NHL level is probably really messed up this season. Um, they're sitting right now 27-31-1, I believe, so, so under 500 as well, which obviously is not ideal. Mm -hmm. um so this season so far do you agree kind of what i said about it's a lot of injuries have kind of hampered them a lot more than obviously any team would like but i think that's that's one of the biggest reasons why they haven't been as competitive Mm -hmm. as we would like to see
0: for sure undoubtedly um it's extremely hard to predict how an ahl team will do because it depends on a couple factors right so playoff wise um it depends if your affiliate if your NHL club's making it, right? So let's say let's say the Moose were in the hunt right now. Jets were really out of it. You know, they return Harkins down. That's a massive boost, right? And uh, you know, vice versa. There 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 are very rare cases like last year where you'll see um, Charlotte, the AHL team, uh, go the distance while Carolina's still contending. You know, like that's, that's yeah. rare to see. Um, but it, like it, the real thing is, the Moose came in looking really strong even before. Um, you know, the prospect of, of Harkins emerging or whatnot, they looked like they could really be a good team. Um, and there were certain spots, like Spurts, especially November when Hainola came down, played like two games. Gosh, he was unbelievable. And like, yeah. selfishly, I was hoping as someone that watched him yeah. all the time, like, oh, he'd be fun to watch. Like, he's so poised. Like, him and Niku were, were doing circles on people. Yeah, um, oh, and for was, sure. Was, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, and there, and there were sports there where Burden was standing on his head in November, and and, and he was doing that behind a, a really really poor defense, and the reason that defense is so poor is because look at the trickle down effect. The Buffin situation not only is losing Dustin Buffin huge for the organization, but it handicapped them. They can't make any moves. They can't do all those things. It's a trickle down. Look at the Brian Little situation. Brian Little being injured takes you know that opened a spot. So Jackson Harkins could have been this good, but he very well could have came back down to the Moose, even being this good. And then that would have for sure made the Moose a much more competitive team. Uh, you know, it's it's the injuries, it's a combination of that. And then the tough thing, too, is as much as it's about the injuries and such, you know, there's no secret. The defense is hanging by a thread organizationally and the injuries, right? So it, there was injuries, but there's also you know, it was a tough situation to start with. And this is the same decor from last year that was, you know, letting up some of the most shots against per night. Um, Mm -hmm. There wasn't too many upgrades done there. Niku was there and he was great. And they were a better team when he was in the lineup, but he was barely there. He was the jets up down. Wasn't consistent there. You know, Logan Stanley didn't take the jump that people would have wanted um, from a, you know, decent rookie season, all things considered. Um, So, You know, it it was tough, but in November, there was a spurt there because they they, they were one and five to start, and then they won like six or seven, five, six, seven straight games. And that lineup right there, you got Harkins at his best, Chibisov's feeding off of Harkins, you got Griffith, you've got, you know, Burden playing lights out, and then you've got decent role playing guys like Cease. You've got, you know, all these guys kind of, you know, worked in in different spots that are more appropriate for them, and uh, it looked really promising. but, you know, one injury happens, one call-up, and, and it you can't recover, right? And then that's why the Moose find themselves so far behind. Um, there would be games where they would be in the thick of it, but, you know, they'd be down a goal to come back. They just didn't have that star power. And I think that that's a really underrated thing about this league. You need guys that are like Jack Rozevick in his prime in this league. You need guys like Kyle Connor in his prime. Guys that are, you know tremendous young talents and hockey players that are just lights out in the league and like finding their way through consistency and rhythm and in the process elevating your team with just their pure skill that's huge you know in this yeah. league and, you know the moose didn't have that consistently throughout the year and that's that and be a way of injuries that's why you know they find themselves 61 games in dead last in their division
1: yeah and it's uh and the, the uh it's it's tough you know and especially last season uh they had that crazy run from uh the end of or the start of uh, the year 2019 in oh, yeah. january to the end of the season they ended up i think two points out of the playoff but they were in like they went from dead last they kind of did like a almost like st louis into the nhl like dead last yeah. all the way into the playoffs and they and that was due to the emergence yeah it was a one point they were out i wasn't sure I what the so. final yeah one i know two. it was in it was into the final weekend they had a triple header they played three games in a row and i was like i oh, think could win all three of those and slide in there but uh Obviously, that didn't happen, but it was definitely fun to watch, especially uh, the emergence of uh, Mikael Burdin. Oh, yeah. Um, last season, he came up out of the ECHL. Um, he actually had a couple of stints up and down between the AHL and ECHL. Before yeah. he came up, it was right around Christmas time. They finally said, you're here. Uh, him, and, him and Comrie last season put up some crazy good numbers. Uh, Burdin had a 927 save and Comrie had a 917. Like, that's... That's pretty good for also, AHL.
0: Those are good numbers in general, but they're actually even better when you can account for the amount of shots they were taking per game.
1: Yeah, right? and so. that's... Yeah, with the defense and the shots that they were getting, uh, oh, Comrie yeah. allowed the most shots in the AHL or close to it. Um, Last season, I got the update at the end of last March. But so they were facing shot, 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 right? And like, their goals were both... Uh, Comrie was 269. Burden was a 234. Um, mm-hmm. So that was, that was important, I think, because... And then you look at this season where uh, obviously Eric Comrie went on a little trek around the country, uh, ended up in Arizona, Detroit, Tucson, Grand Rapids, kind of up and down. Um, And then eventually he found himself back up on the Manitoba Moose or within the Jets organization. Um, So that created a lot of a strain, strain, I think, on Burden at the start of the season where he was playing every night. And if he didn't play well, they were in trouble. But some nights he didn't play well because he was so... uh, because he was so tired right so in that sense he had to uh <clears throat> excuse me he had to kind of carry the team a little bit uh, michael Burden did and i think that kind of wore down on him too especially facing so many shots and yeah. with his very active style that he plays yeah i so think, think, think...
0: kind of let it get away from him too you know like i think he knew he like they were going to start griffin outhouse or adam carlson so he could do whatever the heck he wanted uh, whether yeah, he said that yeah. or not there was definitely some subconscious tendencies the guy tried to boot a puck who does that yeah that was that was something else there for sure yeah stupid yeah that was
1: uh yeah i don't yeah that was that was crazy that's all stupid crazy reckless it was it was not organization was not happy about that at all yeah yeah i could yeah i could agree with that it's uh yeah but uh anyways uh moving on to to that i think when they brought back call me this year um that kind of at least created some kind of competition like you were saying yeah you know then burden knows he has to play well or carmy knows he has to play well or else the other guy's knocking and it was the same thing last season where okay carmy got a little bit of a rest at first but then it was like you want to get in there and play play your best so maybe a little comment on the goaltending situation yeah. overall in the jets organization you can include hellebuck and brossois in there as well if you want to kind of just go up down because i think uh next year eric carmy's on a one-way deal which kind of complicates the cap situation a little bit
0: Mm -hmm. um yeah so here's the thing um most goalies that are that young like burden a and b just via the way that the hl is doing it with two goalies and usually got like a vet or a prospect you kind of bring up you you're kind of splitting reps and whether that's load management or preservation or asset who knows the the reasons for each case but you got to keep those legs fresh you got to keep them in, the, in in the thick of it and now while it was a great experience for burn to get so many games in a row and such I'd argue it's an even better experience for when Comrie came in and Burden had to fight his way through every single night to prove he's the better goalie because Eric Comrie's an unbelievable goalie in the AHL. Some nights he he's fan, lights out, so that that gave Burden someone to compete with day in and day out, and it made him better. Um, I think the Jets would have liked to have Comrie in the fold. It, like, listen, they would have they would have preferred him to never have left,
1: right? Yeah, and of course. Yeah. When,
0: when they got him back, they, there was some real hope that that could help turn things around. Of course, there were other issues that you know put that all away but just in terms of next year with Comrie there i don't know it's a tough thing because the question becomes this you know do they let's say eric Comrie passes through waivers which i would foresee him doing unless he's claimed as a goalie injury whatever okay so let's say he passes down and i don't know his cap hit off by hand do you what would it be next uh, year it's, it's i'll
1: say right around a million i'm not too sure about wow. that but uh not nothing crazy in the NHL value uh right yeah.
0: so well actually no I guess you're right sorry it's a two way um so next this year, season's yeah.
1: a this season's a two way next year's it converts to a one way okay. I believe so, is the wording on that. So yeah.
0: here here here's how it works. I just pulled it up. Next year he makes seven hundred thousand dollars whether it's you know oh it is yeah. seven okay yes and you said next year it's a one way? Yeah. Okay. So Going off of that, that means he, he's $700,000. Now, teams certainly do do this in the NHL, where they'll pay guys that money and send them down. It'll be fine having a veteran guy there. That, that That's that's common. And mm-hmm. if anyone they're going to do it to, for sure, Comrie. But here's the thing. I and a lot of people do certainly believe Mikhail Burton is an NHL asset. So there comes a point here where as nice as it is to have Comrie there and to have them battling back and forth, you almost have to wonder, is Eric Comrie there stunting his growth? Okay, and that, that's a very valid question. But I think if there's a situation where Eric Comrie goes down and, you know, there, if there isn't NHL interest in him and it becomes a minor league asset, let's also remember this. Burton's 22 years old, still young, okay? And, and yeah. if he plays as good as he can be and there's a tie, 50-50, it won't go to the vet. It'll go to him, yeah. 100% they're They're giving it to the prospect. Now, but that, that, that makes burden have to rise to the challenge. So it's tough. Do the Jets invest in that um, next year or do they think that like or do they find a way to get rid of him somehow, right? Like how like how do you balance that out? Is it trickier? Yes, but it is a good problem to have because you know, last resort, you play burden even if he sucks and like it's unfair to calm whatever. but it's not like you're a situation here like at the beginning of the year where you're banking on your entire season on this 21 year old goalie. Yeah, you know, like you, you gotta you gotta protect him. Um, I think burden. I, I think burden could really. I think he could be a player at the next level. I really do. I think he because there's differences. Like Comrie's extremely fundamental, and mm-hmm. that's why he's so good because he's so fundamentally sound. Where Burden is just like this energy ball, and like he he has that killer instinct that you see in some goaltenders. Whereas Comrie's on the other side of the spectrum. Um, so is a great guy to learn from and see how he is technique-wise and the way he thinks and whatnot. But Bird is just like he—he's got that ability. Like that—he's an athlete. His upside is his athletic ability, his quickness, his all these things, and just as you know, his determine—not necessarily his killer instinct, but his determination. Yeah, right. right. Like that, I that's can see a big, that. Yeah. Big thing for Burden. So um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Listen. Money, or, speaking or not, I don't think the Jets would really see it as a problem in any sort of way if they have Comrie there. They love the guy. Yeah. They love They, they, the they guy. went back to him too, eh? so. Oh, my God. They've wanted him so much. They've wanted him all year. Yeah. Vincent said it. Like, the team didn't really recover from losing him for a little bit because, like, he was a huge part of the team. And listen, Peter Stoikowicz, um, he hasn't played in many games this year. Uh, right. That's a, it's kind of hush-hush. Um, I don't know exactly too much what's going on concretely, but, you know, it was a serious injury and he wasn't around, you know, of course he was around the game, stuff like that. But, you know, when you don't have like a leader there, it's tough. Comrade being there is huge for them. Like JC LePon's a big leader for them, but he's not going to stand up in the room and say something. Right, you need a guy like Combs or Stoic who wasn't there to, to kind of be in there and you know rally the troops and whatnot. Right, some lead by example and some lead by their, the example, but also with the words they say. Um, so Comrie's huge in that way, um, especially for for a group like this. Um, so to wrap it up, as I said before, I don't think they would really care if they had to be there. But again, I mean, I think Burns can, like he, I think he can rise to the challenge and find his way into a job there. And also yeah. for what's worth. I may have not alluded to this, but if we're taking bets, I think if Karmri's on waivers next time around, and, you know, if history shows us there's another injury to someone or whatnot, he'll get another chance, maybe. Uh, wouldn't be surprised.
1: Yeah, I could see that, too. I'll, I'll, I agree with that. You know, is, you know, sometimes all you need is a backup goalie, right? And some teams just need that even for a short time, which is why it was claimed at the start of the season as well, right? So that that happens sometimes. And he did get a couple of games in the NHL this season as well. It just, just couldn't, couldn't grasp that opportunity. Right. And that's, it's kind of unfortunate. Obviously you want to see players succeed in the NHL too. Right. That's Absolutely. also part of, also part of the game. Um, so to wrap it up here, we got about, Oh, I'd say about five or 10 minutes here before we hit the hour mark. Um, I want to talk about two players that really interest me specifically, or maybe even three. Um, so I want to start off with uh, Leon Gavanka. Is that how you mm-hmm. say it? Um, that, I think it that's is. pretty good. So yeah. uh, we'll start off with him and then uh, we'll talk about uh, in a little bit. And then also uh, Logan Stanley, who you had mentioned a couple times uh, yeah. as well throughout this. So I'll let you just go off on, you know, how, how are they doing? Um, just kind of what you see in them, especially, especially Gavanka, because that's I feel is a very underrated uh, player in the Jets yeah. uh, system.
0: Um, save for for Johnson Harkins' best story of the year. Besides him, Leon Gavanka, uh, you know, Burden. Listen, Burden's maniac stretch in like the fall was was cool and like really awesome to see. But for me, like the Gavanka thing, like you're looking at a guy that came in. It's a bunch of move. There, he was in a rotation with Kovacevic and Green, and you know, he's his fifth round pick that came in. Initially, see him doesn't. Pop off the charts or anything. Good puck mover, good skater, whatnot. Opportunity came to him, and he took it and he ran with it. Um, he's a gr- he. He possesses all the tools you value uh, in defensemen these days. With the position kind of shifting, uh, you know, he's when he he told me in the story once. He, when he sees open ice, he's going to skate it. Simple. It's what he does. He's their power play one quarterback. He's tied for leading points. He, he's you know an interesting stat. He's got the fourth most points of any under twenty one defenseman. So, you know, he, he's a clear ability to contribute and stuff. But I want to stress, he's still very raw. But what he got to go through this year, getting all this opportunity on a team, penalty kill, power play, against top competition in situations where he's not always comfortable, that's great. That's a huge stepping stone, probably more than he could have ever expected uh, going into this year. Um, I'm not too sure on him NHL-wise, but listen, he's, he's got the tools. And he's, he's, he's shown that with he can develop rapidly. The next step for him, and this is where a th- big thing a lot of prospects come into the, to the A have a really strong rookie season and then the sophomore slump is real in pro <clears> hockey <throat> like they it's a real thing it across every s- side of the spectrum so for Gavanka he's got to get bigger he's got to be you know better defensively he's got to be a lot more smarter in certain away from the puck because when he's at training camp next year it's going to be a lot you know more dense or a, a lot you know a lot more bodies that he's competing with for ice time so that's the real thing for him. I think it's a little too early to wonder if he's, you know, got NHL potential. Um listen, he's got NHL potential, but next year is an option. I don't know. I gotta see it him against the guys are gonna have there um and whatnot, right? But again, you know, he can do some great things with the puck. Great passer. And he, he's a zone entry uh to machine. Yeah. So uh I like him.
1: Yeah, I like I like that too. Especially you want them to be able you want puck
0: movers, right? You don't want just
1: defensive defenseman. i'm using air quotes right yeah, now like, but you don't you want you, you want a guy Kivanka, that can move the puck yeah
0: if you could have Gavonka on your third pair like i i almost think like i like tucker pullman as a player but i almost feel like people don't understand the value and like like you could have leon Gavonka on your third pair with like uh meat and potatoes kind of player like more physical guy or like yeah. more stay at home i guess and then in a reduced role, you got a guy that can, that can move the puck more. Like there's a value in that. Like a guy from a couple of years ago, I used to like is Brad Hunt. I can't remember where he is now, but uh, he's on Minnesota for a time. Whatever. He was like a bottom pairing five six guy, but he moved the puck really well and brought a value there that I think we're seeing the league kind of shift to. Like we're kind of seeing at the bottom of your lineup, having a guy that can move the puck and not just these stay at home meatheads. Because there's a real value because that's the way the game's changing and you need it at all levels. So if we're seeing skill get into bottom sixes and players that can do that, why wouldn't we see it with defensemen as well? And that's why I think that especially to, you know, with Gavanka, it's an encouraging sign to see, especially with, you know, the Jets pipeline.
1: Yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly it, right? He's, you know, you always, the defensive pipeline for the Jets is pretty not definitely not the top in the league. Right. It's so. No. So any guy that shows potential, they really got to bank and invest on a little bit. Right. And work on. Yeah.
0: It. It's a great so great that's first the step.
1: thing. Yeah. So we'll focus over to our uh, to uh, Logan Stanley now, a uh, first round pick defenseman who's kind uh-huh. of been plateauing a little bit. Maybe I'm not exactly sure about him, um, you know, is how's that experiment going basically.
0: So we just talked about how the defensive position is changing. Um, this, I, I don't know when you guys are planning to release this, but I will in the coming days, hours, whatever, have a piece on Stanley. So I don't want to say too, too much, but just to summarize how he's done in these two years, you know, he had an encouraging rookie year. He was decent on the power play. He won the, not that this means too much, but you know, the Moose named him their rookie of the year. Um, he, was in a sheltered role. I think he was with Cam Schilling for a lot of it last year. I may be incorrect on that. But this year, tough start for him, bad preseason. Um, October 18th, injured his wrist, out for five weeks, comes back like mid-November, didn't find his game till January. Mid-January till COVID-19, cancelled this thing, playing some solid hockey. But even his solid hockey, like, that's that's where people have the problem with him, because listen, he he doesn't he doesn't push the needle with his legs. He pushes the needle at his upside, is his body, and he can cover a lot of ground, and there's a, there's a great value to that, you know. And he's good in the penalty kill and all these things, but the problem is, you know, he even struggles at the NHL level with making quick plays under pressure. Sometimes he's playing against a speedy player at the NHL level. I mean, how is he going to be able to, to improve on that? Everyone's passed in the NHL, right? Right. And like as good as he, and he does have good stick handling abilities and he can go tape to tape and he can do all these things. But the thing with him is there's, there's really this facade that has been created about Logan Stanley. I think people are seeing it now, but when he was drafted people and he wasn't junior, he was a big six foot seven guy playing against junior hockey players. He was hard to play against. But the thing is the position is evolving. There's so much more emphasis on footwork that, you know, at the pro level, Logan Stanley, isn't that hard to play against. That hard he now January on was he he was he he did and I want to stress this he had some good stretches of hockey <clears throat> undoubtedly but the thing is when he's playing when he's mismatched and he's playing against faster players he's an easy guy to get around and he, he's not that physical he still has work to do there he's got to bulk up his frame while also you know. Working on his agility and mobility. So there's a huge upward climb for Logan Stanley. How is the experiment happening right now? I don't know. I don't know what the Jets projected. They've always said that he's going to take time whatnot. But if you look at it right now, his upside undoubtedly is just as a bottom pairing guy. Penalty killer. You know? C- can he get faster? Sure. People do all the time. So they charge, couldn't skate his first nine years. There's still a value yeah. for guys like size. The Blues just won the cup last year with a massive blue line. Okay? But you have to skate. And yeah, that's the thing. Is the that's the brightness. hurdle. Yeah, that's the hurdle. And his D zone awareness isn't amazing. But why the Jets? Whether you agree with it or not, listeners out there, the reason the Jets are so high on Stanley is because he has a massive wingspan. Like, like he can take up such a huge um, radius and, and just area that you know, if he's able to keep up and you know stay square to the forward and you know do all the the, the right nuances and things like that, he can. He's hard to. You know, get past a guy of that right. size. Um, but yeah, as I kind of alluded to, there's a lot more needed to be, uh, you know, in the in the big leagues other than your size. Yeah, that's yeah. That, Especially that's, to play a top four role, he'll get a yeah. chance somewhere.
1: Yeah, that's that's the thing, right? Too is like I like I just mentioned the NHL. Everybody's fast, right? It's not so much. Oh yeah. The AHL, you know, you have you definitely have some slower guys. Um, majority, not majority, but at least there's there's a lot of slower players in the AHL is. So if he's struggling now to make tight tight plays um, in the AHL level and the NHL level, he'll never be able to make a play basically is kind of what as of, as it stands right now, or as it stands in his last game action is, it's going to be a very upward climb for him. And that's something obviously you want to see it. Like I mentioned every prospect you want to see him turn out, but sometimes it just doesn't, doesn't happen. Right. And that's, 100%. that's just the way it is. And I mean, it's not over yet. He still has some development time left. I do believe so so anyway, so we'll move on to uh last uh, our last little player we'll talk about here uh we mentioned him again a couple times uh christian vessel um so what do you think about Vesa this year i know he's i think he has improved this season over as from the start of the year on to now yeah um, i could be mistaken in that but i do no, think I, sure. I
0: myself have seen some improvements yeah he has um undoubtedly so he started he had a really tough start first uh Ten, he got his first goal in like his tenth game of the year. He was really struggling uh, to kind of, you know, create scoring chances, uh, and that's in virtue of like you know he, his shot is his probably most NHL. Uh, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, like his his be- his best skill is his shot. Um, right. What he when he can get? when he can hit the net. So he was kind of struggling to move his feet and he is a powerful skater, but he was kind of struggling to like be good away from the puck and, you know, crashing that and even still needs to work on that, but find ways to cut inside and, you know, you know, for lack of, for lack of a better ter- way of saying this, like you had to find ways to score other than just ripping a one timer stationary. Right. So there was a learning process there and throughout the year, you certainly saw an improvement. Vincent had him on the penalty kill. Um, and whatnot, and, you know, the, the biggest problem, though, and, you, sorry, not, before I get into that, he really was becoming more poised with the puck, he was skating with it, we had room, and he was really adjusting to the AHL game a lot more, and, you know, when he's on, he's on. Like, he could be a lethal power play player at, at this level. Um, the thing for him is, and I like Stanley, but I like, like, similar to him, is consistency. Uh, Vest is a good shot, but in game situations, like, he he, he misses wide quite a bit. Like he, it's a it's a problem. Uh, I don't know if that's a matter of his training regiment or just the, if he's not getting enough game type stimulations. But you know, he's a point five point per game player, second year. His development path is kind of like another guy's, Eli Tolvanen, uh, National Pro- Predators prospect. He's in, I believe, his third year or second year in the AHL, and kind of the same question marks there arise about you know translating their scoring prowess from overseas here. Um, but right. I mean, seeing Veselainen over this last few. Weeks with Gustafson, it was he, like he looked great. Um, the next step for him is just consistently shooting, like get not sorry, getting the puck on net. He yeah, shoots. right. It, that, that's that's the biggest element there. He's got the size. He's a powerful skater. I like his D zone awareness and his work on the wall. They haven't, like, as I said, they haven't playing penalty kill a bit, but I like his wall work. He's really good and tight. Actually a lot better than he was to the start. And he's been working on that quite a bit in terms of, you know, picking puck off the wall, making a play quickly, a quick cycle. He's really good at that kind of stuff. It's just like for him to hit his potential, he's got to be able to hit the net. Like he's got to, whether it's the power play, whether it's in any situation, he's got to be rifling that on net, not even just to score goals, but to create more offense. Cause a shot, it could become a rebound or it's a face. Like there, I don't mean to water it down too much, but the point is like, if you're missing wide, it's like, you know, turnover on down, essentially, if you don't recover it back. Yeah. Not Cause that's going surprising. out of
1: the zone. Yeah, right. Like
0: yeah. you, you got to hit the net. Um, so that's something I'm sure he's going to work on. He's got a really, really hard work ethic. Um, he's always one of the last people off the moose ice. And I don't say that lightly. He's always working on his craft and such. I wonder if he maybe tries to, you know, it's crazy these days when they have with skill coaches, you know, like Adam Oates yeah. and all those people that are – who knows? Maybe he adapts some sort of philosophy or, or something where he looks at a shot from a different angle. He approaches things differently. But that's the big thing because, listen, the rest of his game has really progressed. Let's mm-hmm. say that we look at his progression, whether it's getting open, creating chances, you know, except for you know, hitting the net. But my point is, like, getting the right areas and stuff. And let's say he was hitting the net more consistently. Then we'd be talking, like, okay, when's Vest coming up? But until then, you know, it's not a discussion, frankly, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I so, agree with that at uh, about a 0. 0.5 a game, uh, points points per game or whatever. That's nothing spectacular to look at, right? Mm-hmm. So, but you I, know, you're kind of, we just kind of know he's there, that kind of thing, right? So, exactly. And,
0: you know, uh, I don't know if I, I does his ELC slide uh, because he went overseas last year?
1: I do believe it did slide.
0: I, So don't take my word for that, but I no, I think it did. did. Yeah. I'm almost positive. It did. So let's say that's the case. So he's got not just this year, but the next year on his ELC. I don't, I don't foresee Christian Vestalian becoming part of the Winnipeg Jets, but, and this is something you should say with everything. I didn't foresee Johnson Harkins being a jet ever. So like, you never know. And Vestalian has a much greater skill set than Johnson Harkins, but here's the thing. I don't even know if that's sort of the Jets do or don't, but here from an asset management standpoint, these two years, it'll be huge to get Vest line and kind of dominating the A, and then, you know, say maybe dangling him in a trade. Because if, yeah. if you get him at his peak, that's when you – you know, it's that that's smart asset management. Now, will you recoup the value of, of your 13th overall pick in that year? No. But, like, barring, like, a, a, you know, massive progression, which, again, can happen, my point is, like, even if he just becomes trade bait, that's better than nothing, right? You I don't mean, always yeah. – you don't always swing on these picks. You miss quite a lot more. The Jets fans have been so lucky because how good their management's been with drafting year after year in majority of years. They've nailed like every first round pick except for Vesson and, and Stanley as of now, right? So yeah, you're kind of you're kind of not to mention all the success they've had in the later rounds, right? So you're kind of got a high bar there. But you know, listen, it's probably a good thing that the Jets are at a point now where someone like they don't need Vest to, to, to step up and, and be the kind of Messiah, for lack of a better word. You know, like they've, they've got a deep pool. If it doesn't work, out, it doesn't work out. But again, I want to stress what I said before. As, as kind of negative I've sounded, Vest's aligning can be deadly on the power play. Like in terms of a skill uh, a skill standpoint, and when he's on, like he's on, and he's a great, he's a force, and he's really poised, and he's, you know, got that, that scores mentality. Accuracy, as I said, is a weakness, but he's got that shooter's mentality that's so key. Um, especially for someone with, with a shot as powerful as his. Accuracy is just the next step. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll yeah, and you know,
1: you don't hit every draft pick, and I just mentioned that, not all the prospects work out right. So it's just something that's part of the game too. And if you can recoup of some of his value or dangle him for a trade or whatever you gotta do, you know it's all about deciding on when the right time is to either move on or to go all in on this on these players specifically and stuff like that. I don't
0: think now is the right time to move on from Vestaline. Listen. Anyone can get traded. When guys get traded. Yeah. Yeah. If there's a deal for where where a team wants Vest, Yeah, the Jets would do it. But my point is if you're looking like okay, like I don't think the Jets are like wanting to get rid of Vestaline. right? Anything no, like, no. That's not what right? I was saying, yeah. No, 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 no. no. I know. Yeah. I'm just saying like, you know, like I just think that like they're they're, you know, they've got two 24-month kind of window here. You know, like to see what they have? Maybe, let's say Vest even turns it on next year, whenever that's going to start. We don't even know. But yeah. and at the deadline, he's really looking promising. And then maybe they dangle him. Who knows? All that matters is for them is, I think even the Jets would be ha- are kind of happy um, with the way that the rest of his game has evolved. Because I think they know, or at least hope, believe, that his shooting can get better at this level. But the other things that are real deal breakers positionally uh, moving your feet to get open being good away from the puck he's really improved on and that's probably encouraging for them to be honest in the long run
1: yeah yeah
0: that's yeah that's true
1: too so I think on that note we're going to wrap it up I think we just passed the hour mark so that's a lot a lot of content for all you listeners out there so uh, thank you Jacob for taking uh, taking your time uh, to talk to talk with me to talk with us about the more of you know some business side we covered and other stuff about the jets prospects and kind of maybe what we could see for the future for uh for the winnipeg jets and manitoba moose uh teams
0: absolutely thank you so much for having me on appreciate it man
1: yeah no problem so uh yeah we'll maybe even have you on again or multiple other times as well so uh thanks a lot anytime yeah bye
0: I'm Kirk Gilback, and thank you for listening to the Jet Centric Broadcast.